This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. Last week, RCMP called a news conference on Operation Badminton. That was a crackdown on a crime network operating mostly on the province's west coast. 35-year-old Dominic DeLille was one of four people arrested on drug and firearms-related charges, but he also faces additional charges of sex trafficking or pimping young girls and women for profit. At the time, RCMP credited, um, uh, sorry, commended Thrive's Blue Tor- Door program for providing help and support to those trying to exit the sex trade. But the Blue Door program is facing some difficulties, not the least of which is a cut to its funding. Well, here to discuss the issues surrounding all of that, our executive director of Thrive, Angela Crockwell. Hello. Hello, Linda. How are you? Great. And Amnesty Rose is coordinator for the Coalition Against Sexual Exploitation of Youth, also known as Casey. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. And Angela, I'll, I'll start with you. And, and we always start with the basics for anybody who doesn't know. You know what Thrive is. What is Thrive? Yep, sure. So we are a charitable organization here uh, based out of St. John's. And we have a number of different focuses. But overall, it's around supporting vulnerable individuals to receive the um, support and service that they need to move forward in their lives. So that includes we do alternative education. We have a street reach program that really supports people who are facing housing insecurity, maybe struggling with mental health or substance use. And we also have a specialized focus around anti-exploitation and anti-trafficking, which would be our Blue Door program and Casey, which is the uh, area that Amnesty is working in. Right. So a lot of different uh, supports and uh, programs there. Um, do you uh, do you regularly deal with, you know, a high volume of people? How does it work? Yeah. So um, depending on the type of service that we're offering, uh, we would be seeing um, I just did up our annual data. So I got a handle on this. We served last year about 750 unique individuals um, and we see a high level of um, people coming uh, for drop-in support but the other thing that we've really noted over the last number of years particularly as uh, we've been in the middle of this pandemic is the number of cold calls that are coming into our organization not only from people in St. John's and surrounding area but really throughout the province who are really struggling with issues, again, housing insecurity, sexual exploitation, poverty. Um, We have seen a significant increase in just cold calls calling and saying, I'm really in a hard way. Can somebody help or provide me some information or guidance? And have some of the issues that are bringing people to you, um, have those exacerbated over the years? Have things changed? Yes, I would say they certainly have. And I think, obviously, I mean, anybody listening would know that, um, you know, just the cost of living, food prices we've seen in the news, a lot of people talking about housing and the lack of safe, affordable housing has really put 
um, you know, significant pressure on people who already were struggling with issues around uh, low-income poverty and housing insecurity. So, you know, with the current housing market that we are living in, particularly in the St. John's area, the um, the number of people we are supporting that are um, trying to find housing has definitely increased and it is getting much more challenging to find a place that people can actually afford to live. Um, and as we head into the winter, I think we'll see that even um, be exacerbated more because of the um, just trying to pay power bills has been a huge issue for people. That's a big one in groceries, too. Uh, I was notified by my bank the other day. It said, you spent more on groceries in August than you ever have before, you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we all are feeling the implications and the impacts of this increasing cost. So, again, if you think about people who already were struggling to pay their bills or to find enough money to feed themselves, then you can just imagine how challenging that is right now with the cost of, again, just buying the basics. And again, as you said, I notice I can go to the grocery store and come out with like two bags and be like, that's $120 worth of groceries. What the heck? Yeah. I don't really have much here. Um, And for some people, $120 is more than they would ever have access to for um, well over a month's groceries. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of people who are really struggling with issues around poverty. And I want to talk to you a little bit more more about that and as well about mental health uh, supports and the like, uh, you know, that are in the community and available to people uh, when we come back after the break. And uh, uh, Amnesty, I'm not forgetting about you either. We're going to bring you into the conversation as soon as we take our break. Uh, We'll be back right after this. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. And my guests today on On Target are the Executive Director of Thrive, Angela Crockwell, and Amnesty Rose, Coordinator for the Coalition Against Sexual Exploitation of Youth, or Casey. So, uh, Angela, we were talking about Thrive, and uh, Thrive is, uh, sorry, the Blue Door Program is one of the programs that is run by Thrive. So what exactly is the Blue Door Program, and what does it do? Yeah, uh, sure. So Blue Door is uh, a program specifically designed for people who want supports who've had experience in the sex trade, and that could include people who identify as being trafficked, sexually exploited, or haven't done uh, sex work, but want supports to be able to transition away from that experience. So they offer full wraparound supports. Every person in that program is connected to a, a specific staff person who really works with them on an individual basis to um, create a plan that is very individualized. So what is it that would be helpful for you? And that is different for everybody who accesses that program. We also, uh, as part of that, have a um, an external therapist so we can offer people individual and group-based therapeutic services. And um, we also do a lot of just wellness groups and peer support uh, amongst people who are part of that program. And Amnesty Rose, you're the coordinator for the Coalition Against Sexual Exploitation of Youth, or CASEY. What is CASEY? 
So KC is a coalition of community members, stakeholders, and folks with living and lived experience who come together to really um, try and progress um, advancement on this issue in the areas of prevention, advocacy, survivor leadership, um, and community education through capacity building. So um, we really try and raise awareness and make sure folks have the tools and skills that they need to respond to, identify, and effectively address this issue. So do people come to you or do you do outreach? Um, we do a bit of both. So um, we do do outreach when we think there's an opportunity for advocacy, collaboration, um, if there is a desire to run things like youth groups together um, where we can provide youth with the skills and tools that they need to create safety in their own lives. Um, we also do do, do receive um, cold calls and also community outreach from partners who are seeking um, either resources, support, guidance, or just to have a conversation. So um, it's a very flexible service where we try and meet the needs of the folks we're connecting with. And how do people come to you, Angela? Do you do any outreach or do, do people, do you just make sure that the information is out there and anyone who wants to come forward does? Yes, yeah, so first when Blue Door started, which was uh, just over five years ago, we would have done a lot more outreach than we would be currently doing. Um, because once we started the program, um, within and you know the first several months, we actually had a wait list for services. So um, we're always very conscious of not going out to do a lot of outreach and then have lots of folks reach out and say, "I really need support. Can I get in the program?" and and us to be able to say, "We're actually full, and the amount of support we can su- provide is less than what." probably the person needs or we would like to so everybody like in you know the local community of st john's all the other service providers they certainly know who we are we do get a lot of referrals from community partners or health services um, but we also get a lot of self-referrals right Um, so is it dangerous for people to come forward um no i would say it's not dangerous for people to uh, seek support. We are a very confidential service, so even if um, people are concerned about their own safety and uh, kind of fear if it was identified that they were part of the program, that that may increase um, risk to them. Our staff are very well trained in this area. We're very flexible, so it's not a set program where you have to participate in, you know, like schedule A, B, C, and D. You don't actually even have to come into this office. Our staff are also mobile. Um, so some of the work happens, you know, at the local Tim Hortons, if that's a safer place for me, people to meet and uh, connect. So we're incredibly flexible around that So and have really been thoughtful around um, safety of people, but it has not been um, a significant issue that has been raised by people. Um, I think sometimes that might be an initial fear for people, but it's, uh, it's rarely realized. Right. So it's not necessarily secretive. It's like, hey, I, I really need to talk to somebody. You want to meet me up at the local coffee shop and we'll have a coffee and see where this goes. Absolutely. And even if people come in to thrive, 
because we're running a number of programs here, like nobody knows who's in the building for what. You could be in here for the education program. You could be in here for a meeting with staff. You could be here for, you know, our street outreach services. And so there's nothing to identify anybody who's in this building and why they're here. So, Amnesty, how does um, the supports or the uh, programs offered by the Coalition Against Sexual Exploitation of Youth differ from um, the Blue Door program, for instance? Yeah, so um, Casey is very limited by the capacity as I'm the only person full-time in the program. So we provide less of the wraparound supports and more uh, focus on that education, prevention, advocacy focus. Um, and so when we are supporting folks, um, often they're connected with additional services. Um, and then again, it's really looking into the research, uh, building relationships, making sure service providers are responding in a way that's effective for them, um, um, doing advocacy with government and other structures and large institutions to try and make sure um, information is getting where it needs to be. And so um, when I think about Casey, I think of us as sort of like a partner program to Blue Door, um, where each of us is trying to make sure that those structural changes are happening and we happen to have the focus there and they happen to have that frontline focus. And I guess there's that added element nowadays because sexual exploitation is not necessarily in person anymore. A lot of it is occurring online. Absolutely. So the rise in online exploitation is um, very far reaching. You don't need to be in the same province, country, room as the individual who is being impacted. Um, and so we know that um, very young youth are impacted by the online piece. We know that um, they're often seeking something when um, when an exploiter approaches them, whether it's a sense of belonging, love and safety, um, just someone who cares to listen to them. And so um, because many folks in our province are from small or isolated communities, um, they may be seeking those sort of intangible needs like sense of belonging online, um, which can create a lot of vulnerability. Right. Sometimes it's just as simple as acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's scary, especially when you think of uh, young people who, are, you know, are always looking for some form of, of validation, I suppose. Absolutely, yes. And um, the, the folks who exploit are very good at identifying what's missing in someone's life and then filling that. And so the sense of belonging, the compassion, the kindness, sometimes even access to um, like gifts like Lululemons are really popular right now or um, specific shoes that are really popular and high ticket items. Those are all ways um, that exploiters can start a relationship with the youth to then progress it towards exploitation. Right, because if somebody is showering you with big-name gifts, for instance, you might misinterpret that as love or caring or being nurtured. Absolutely. Often um, it's a form of generosity and kindness that youth are excited about, and that's why it can be so complicated to really um, figure out what's going on and for youth to disclose. Well, one of many reasons why it can be hard for youth to disclose, because if this person has been kind to them and what they understand to be loving towards them, um, it can be very challenging to then turn around and report that person or say that they've harmed them or to lose the things that they're providing, um, which is why Blue Door is such an important service, because when we ask someone to step out, well, when they decide they're ready to step out of exploitation,
question. Um, they're also stepping away from a support network, whether that support network is positive for them or not, and it leaves needs unfulfilled. And so it's really important to have programs that can help fulfill those needs elsewhere so that they're able to progress in a way that works for them. We often talk about warning signs, and I'm wondering uh, in, in terms of KCD, do you work with schools or, or guidance counselors or uh, counselors or psychologists to, to pick up on some of those warning signs that something might be going on? So we certainly incorporate it in our training, um, and we do do um, multi-sectoral training for folks who are interested. Um, we also really try and put out the signs on our social media this year for the annual week of recognition. Um, recognizing the signs is actually our theme. And so we are having those conversations and creating content around that for folks to recognize. Um, that said, we're not currently in the school system. Um, we have been invited to specific classrooms, and we hope to really expand that outreach. Um, <clears throat> and we also hope to be getting into professional programs this year um, through the university and college to really start to say, um, as you go into these caring professions, these are some things you might want to keep an eye on and consider because we know it's being missed. Our guests today on On Target are the Executive Director of Thrive, Angela Crockwell, uh, and Thrive runs the Blue Door program. And Amnesty Rose is coordinator, uh, coordinator I'm sorry, for the Coalition Against Sexual Exploitation of Youth, also known as Casey. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And we're back. Our guests today are uh, Angela Crockwell, the executive director of uh, Thrive, uh, which runs the Blue Door program, and an Amnesty Rose, Coordination for the Coalition Against Sexual Exploitation of Youth, or Casey, and Thrive's Blue Door program uh, sort of was highlighted by RCMP last week when they announced this uh, uh, Operation Badminton that resulted in charges of sex trafficking. So... My question, uh, I guess, to, I'm sorry, I had to cough there. Uh, my question to Angela, is there, is there a typical target for sex trafficking? I'm thinking in terms of um, youth or vulnerability, dependence, poverty, um, new arrivals, anything in particular? Um, so we always say that anybody can be targeted, but there are certainly certain factors that increase people's vulnerability um, around this and you certainly listed a, uh, a number of them then. Um, poverty is certainly a, um, a factor that puts people at increased vulnerability. Um, people who experience homelessness and or are living in shelter systems or even like outside would be at higher risk. We also know people with like historical uh, abuses in their life. So people who've experienced childhood sexual abuse would be um, considered more vulnerable. And uh, we certainly know this is often a gendered piece as well. So, you know, people who are, um, you know, women and young girls or people who are gender diverse um, often are at increased vulnerability as well. And uh, it, we'll get to that in just a moment, but there has been an emergency alert which has uh, come across phones in just a few mo uh, few minutes ago, and uh, this is from the RNC regarding the shootings in CBS, if you don't mind me interrupting now for a moment. Uh, there is an active criminal threat is what uh, RNC are calling it. An armed man is at large following three shootings 
In the town of Conception Bay South, the suspect has been identified as 31-year-old Matthew Jeremy Fowler. He's described as 6 feet 5 inches tall, 200 pounds, tattoos around the neck area. Fowler has dark hair and brown eyes. He's believed to be traveling in a black Subaru Legacy JFH. 710 is the license plate number, JFH710. RNC advising the community to shelter in place. That means remain inside your residence, inside work, indoors, with entrances secured while police search for the suspect. Updates will be provided through the RNCC social media platforms and local media. So once again, uh, this is an active criminal threat. Uh, RNC are calling it an armed man is at large following three shootings in the town of Conception Bay South. The suspect identified as 31-year-old Matthew Jeremy Fowler, described as 6 feet 5 inches tall, 200 pounds, tattoos around his neck. Fowler has dark hair and brown eyes. He's believed to be traveling in a black Subaru Legacy JFH710, license plate number. RNC advising the community to shelter in place, that is, remain inside your residence, work or indoors, with entrances secured while police search for the suspect. And we'll have details of that throughout the course of the afternoon. Three shootings now confirmed in Conception Bay South. Um, On that note, uh, ladies, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a short break and we'll get back to the both of you because it seems strange to continue our conversation after sending that out there we'll be back right after this got plans for midnight bring your vocm along with the best soundtrack for every night anywhere the vocm all night show midnight on your vocm my guest today on On Target, Executive Director of Thrive, Angela Crockwell, and Amnesty Rose, Coordinator for the Coalition Against Sexual Exploitation of Youth, or Casey. Those, um, uh, the Blue Door Program and Casey are projects of Thrive. And um, Angela, I was going to ask you now, uh, because uh, there was a very serious concern that the Blue Door Program might not um, be able to continue um, uh, operating because of a, a, a cut in uh, funding. So where are we with that? So um, in February or the 28th of February, our five-year federal funding did come to an end, and that was um, that really allowed us to have a full staff complement and enough financial resources to do the supports and services that um, you know. the the people we were supporting really needed access to. Once that um, federal funding ended, we were able to leverage a um, a one-year grant from another department within the federal government. And we've also been so thankful for our community and corporate partners who have really rallied around that program and and provided us with some donations. So uh, we currently have two full-time staff Um, And I feel uh, relatively confident to say we have enough finances to be able to sustain that program through the rest of this fiscal year. And we obviously are continuing to seek um, other opportunities and sources of funding to make sure that we have the long-term sustainability because it's both very challenging, obviously most importantly, on the people we're supporting they need to know we're going to be here for the long run. And that was very clear in some of the research and work we did with folks with lived experience 
that that said very clearly to us, we need support for a long time. Um, this is not an experience that you know it takes six months to be able to you know that's enough support or for some people it might take you know four or five years so that's really important and obviously for the staffing it's really helpful to know you also have a job you know you're not going from you know six months to six months just wondering where your employment's going to land so right now we are obviously scaled back from where we were we don't have the capacity to support the number of people we did um, we're reasonably stable, and even next weekend we are doing a fundraiser um, as part of a national fundraising program, and um, hoping to raise another twenty-five thousand to um, that will go directly to support Blue Door operations. Is PTSD a factor? Yes, absolutely. A number of the um, individuals that we supported through. Blue Door uh, identified uh, PTSD as you can only imagine people who've experienced a high level of um, violence and you know obviously human trafficking is violence um, or sexual exploitation and that isn't can be a very traumatic experience for people so we often see um, post-traumatic stress um, people who are in a constant state of hypervigilance um, because of that experience and for some people just trying to get through every day and you know they do often experience a lot of physical violence but certainly a lot of emotional uh, emotional violence is uh, is inherent in that manipulation coercion and control and that could require lifelong supports Absolutely. We did take part in a national research um, study, and uh, that was very clear that it, people really do need access to long-term supports. Because as you say, like you don't get over PTSD in a, in a short period of time. It can often be a lifetime of healing. And we've also, you know, like all of us, we have moments where, you know, life's going okay and we're doing all right and then something happens and we get triggered and all of a sudden we need a higher level of support. So this is certainly an experience that um, people can certainly get some healing from and move on and, and uh, rebuild their lives. Um, but it's also an experience that will often will be carried with people for a very long time. So you're good to the end of the year. Any word on alternative forms of funding, or is it possible to get the federal government back on board? We are uh, trying to, I always say, I'm pulling every lever that I can find um, and certainly always searching and have had some great conversations and connections to other support services in the community who are often reaching out and making sure, like, are you aware of this part of funding, um, you know, sending me stuff. So we are scouring. If, there's, if there is money out there that we can leverage, I can tell you this organization is doing every single thing it can do to make sure um, that we're leveraging that because we know both the need but also the impact, the positive impact that this program is having on people on a day-to-day -day basis, and it is critical that that gets sustained. Did it help to get some of the profile from RCMP last week? 
I mean, I certainly hope so. Um, you know, we obviously had, were only brought in right at the tail end. I mean, obviously that investigation was going on and that was well outside of Thrive and the Blue Door program. But the RCMP recognized when they were going to potentially have to have a conversation with the person who um, who they identified as uh, being a victim of hu- human trafficking, they sought our expertise because they recognized that we held that expertise in that province and wanted to make sure any interactions with this potential victim was sensitive, was trauma-informed. Um, so they really wanted... That be that consultation for our expertise. So I think that there is recognition broadly in this community that Blue Door, Casey, and Thrive holds a special set of expertise in this area. Um, and so we hope that that translates into obviously um, financial support for the program. And that sensitivity and that uh, uh, trauma-informed um, experience that you have, it, it has, I mean, do you provide help to uh, police agencies in, in their dealings with, with certain investigations that they're conducting? I mean, certainly if anybody reaches out um, to our organization and wants that kind of consultation or expertise, we would certainly um, be open to providing that because our top priority is certainly to make sure um, anybody who's a potential uh, victim of exploitation or trafficking uh, receives the highest level of care and sensitivity in any interactions. And we know that um, some of those first interactions that you have with somebody because often people are very distrustful of services and of professionals. So those first interactions are really important to create a sense of safety. So we're always willing to share our knowledge and experience um, with the hopes that it means people who are potentially harmed by this get better service and support. Amnesty Rose, uh, you're the co- coordinator with uh, the Coalition Against Sexual Exploitation of Youth, or Casey, and we talked a little bit earlier about uh, warning signs and uh, perhaps, um, you know, educators or others in the public being aware of those kinds of things. But what about friends or family? What should they be aware of? Yeah, so friends and family are the folks who have um, sort of the best opportunity to recognize the signs early. Um, We know that they're engaging supports. Um, The Canadian Centre to End Human Trafficking did release some data showing that friends and family are the most likely to call and seek um, support around that. So things that folks can look for um, include how many social media profiles a young person has and what are those profiles used for? Um, Are they hanging out with someone who's unknown to friends and family but spending significant time with them? Do they have access to things that they wouldn't have access to based on their income or their um, access to income? So um, I know right now, again, the Lululemons and the really nice sneakers are um, huge indicators of that. We also know if someone has tattoos um, in highly visible places that like the neck, face, hands, um, that can be a form of like branding. So there are a lot of different ways to look for this. Um, I always say that if you notice a major shift in someone's behavior, it's worth asking them what's what's been on the go um, because that's usually a key indicator that something has changed within them and that, that deserves a little bit of kindness and compassion and gentle inquiry. 
Yeah, and is, is there an approach? Because I know a lot of people will say amongst themselves, oh my gosh, I really notice a big change in so-and-so, um, but I'm afraid to ask them what's on the go. Yeah, so we encourage folks to um, use what we call the give skills. So gentle, interested, validating, easy manners, what that stands for. Um, so it might be a conversation of, hey, I noticed you haven't been around um, your usual group of friends lately. Is there a reason for that? I'd love to listen. Um, And that can be enough to say, like, hey, I'm a safe person who cares about you and I want to talk about this. Um, And sometimes it's it's just sitting with them and saying, you know, things seem different. I'm I'm here for you if you want to talk. And offering that, um, there's a lot of value in a conversation and a lot of power in a conversation. And I think those are the places where um, that change can really happen. And uh, that question, are you okay? Are you okay? Um, I think sometimes will prompt responses that sometimes you're not quite prepared for. How, how do you deal with information that you might dread <laughs> or not be prepared to handle? How do you handle that? Yeah, so um, I think, one, it's really normal to feel overwhelmed or emotional or impacted by the information of receiving a disclosure or any information related to a disclosure. Um, And so we always encourage folks to just try and be open, listen non-judgmentally, maintain um, neutral body language and facial expressions as it feels sort of normal for them, um, and to really focus on what the individual is sharing and then seek that support afterwards. We are all impacted um, when we hear trauma stories or when we hear a story of someone who's been through a lot as empathetic people and so we really encourage folks to reach out to other supports um, seek services you know connect with a counselor or mental health professional um, to to sort through the impacts of that information on their time but when we're talking to someone who has this experience they need to be the focus at that time and that can be a really tricky spot to be in all right uh, we're almost out of time angela um information where people can find it um, or, or reach out Yep, certainly um, our website is probably the best way to uh, find us. It is www.thrivecynancy.ca. And all of our contact information program information can be found there. Casey as well? Yes, absolutely. Yep. Well, I want to thank you both for joining us this very unusual day, as you both are well aware. Uh, But Angela Crockwell, Executive Director of Thrive and Amnesty Rose, Coordinator with Casey, I want to thank you both for joining us on the show this afternoon. Very important information. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.